Setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And it is Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. John, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, still one one day at a time. I'm <laughs> just kind of going. Yeah. Um, if you had asked me now to say the date, I would not have been able to do it. I only just happened to look up what it is. Today is right. a, a Tuesday, uh, which is kind of meaningless in our new era. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, how's your uh, uh, magic been going? Um, it's been going okay. I haven't uh, been practicing that much. I've been, you know, I've always had a coin or a deck of cards in my hands. I've been practicing sort of technical stuff, but I haven't been like trying to come up with any new material. Um, I, I've had some ideas for like scripts and things that I want to write out, and then that usually leads inspiration onto like kind of what an effect should look like, or that'll kind of get me somewhere. But I don't have any really like ideas for a new routine or new act right now. Uh, How about you? Uh, I have not as well, though I, I do want to do like a, like a, um, I want to say like an 80s style act where I dress up like as a, like a surgeon with sunglasses. Uh huh. Um, and I like, I have three legs at one point. Uh huh. Uh, chop them off. You know, that's, I don't know, recent, something about recent, uh, I don't know. I'm just inspired in that direction lately. Sure. Um, uh, I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't tell you why that is. That's a mystery to me. What, what now brought that on? We've got a source with us for potential modern day inspiration. Yes, uh, about- I'm very excited about this one. This is I'm really looking forward to this conversation. What? Let's who who do we have, John? Uh, yeah, so this is um, um, a, a magician, a friend of mine who lives in Southern California, lives in Los Angeles. Is an incredibly, incredibly talented uh, magician. I know him mostly as a coin magician, but he really can uh, do it all. So I just I wanted to get him on and, and, and hear what he has to say. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Eddie Shu. Eddie, there. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Good. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure that our connection was still good. That wasn't like a uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi, uh, hi guys. Nice to talk to you on this platform. Yeah, um, thank you for making time for us. Now we yeah, know no Eddie. Problem. We know Eddie as the person at uh, conventions and Magic Apple lectures where uh, we think of something that is very difficult that neither of us can do. Right. And then we we ask Eddie if he can do it, and he can do it. Uh, yeah, Eddie is probably, you're probably the most technically proficient magician I think I know. Thank you, I'm very flattered. <laughs> um, and I hope this, uh, Eddie, if this is insulting to you, we can cut this out. I think of you, since you don't perform a lot, and you don't, you know, I, to me, you are like the best magician that not a lot of people have heard about. That is how I describe you. It makes sense, yeah, uh, because I'm not a professional magician, I don't do magic for a living, I still in school um so yeah i don't have a occasionally i got some gigs but not a lot so mm-hmm. mainly i just a hobbyist just interesting in magic i'd love to right. practice and perform for my friends yeah uh before we get into all of that i just want to check in with you um how, how are you how are you doing in these times yeah good okay uh it's like in this quarantine time it's like just stay at home all the time uh, busy with my schoolwork. uh occasionally uh just relax and so you're getting your PhD, right? Oh yeah, I'm getting my PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how? So how busy has that been during this time? Uh, it's kind of busy because I'm in my third year now, so I'm preparing for my uh, thesis proposal. So I need to come up with a new idea of the paper I'm gonna pursuing later on. So I'm still doing the like the topic researching period. Uh, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're keeping busy at least. I mean, I'm sure you know. I hope you enjoy. I hope you enjoy the the, the PhD work that you're doing. 
because uh, <laughs> very least like, it gives you something to do. <laughs> so what um what what is the path that got you to where you are today in terms of uh you know starting to study this PhD but at the same time being a hobbyist in magic um you know how did you end up out here in Southern California doing both of those things at the same time? Uh, so basically, um, I was getting getting interesting in magic when I was like really young, probably around like like probably like like I mean like nine or ten around that time. So okay. like I'm constant doing magic on and off like uh, since then. Uh, not as a professional, of course. Um, so uh, I first came into the states like probably in 2014 as an exchange student for my oh, senior wow. year. And after that, there's things that the program between the school I'm studying right now and uh, the school I, I was in, in China. Uh, and there's a program. So then I end up being here and uh, end up applying for the, the master program in the States, in the California. And then just after I finished the master, I feel like I tried to find a job. Uh, I actually I did work for a year. And uh, finally, I find out, yeah, probably like my, my family, my parents, and also myself kind of thinking about uh, pursuing a PhD in my life. So that's the end of being doing PhD. But uh, the good thing about being in the, um, South California is that there's tons of great magicians and great opportunity here, especially in the Magic Castle. So I joined the club and I meet a bunch of my, uh, magician friends over here. And it's actually a great opportunity for me to take a next step for my like magic. So it's kind of basically what like, it's like. Uh, I will always have a passion about magic. But yeah, I probably don't never like, really consider uh, doing magic as a like a professional magician, um, magician but I do do some gigs like more of a hobbyist or a part-time magician. Right. Um, have so, you always, Oh, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, where were you living when you were nine or 10? Uh, back in, in China. Yeah. Uh, like which city? I'm just curious. Oh, it's a, a small city called Changsha. So back then there's not a lot of, uh, magic in there, but they do have, a uh, a guy, uh, who is a professional magician called Joe Deng. Yeah, he's actually living in Changsha back then. And, um, so he's kind of a huge inspiration for the magic community community back then uh, back, uh, in in, the, in my city, and he ended up being pretty famous in China, right? Uh, in whole China right now, uh, he's kind of the guy that's uh, kind of taking the the magic in in China into a next step. So I unfortunately to meet met him like probably not like that young. But in, in my, I met him when I was in middle school, um, so that's actually a huge step, huge step in my like magic, uh, magic path. When you met him, was he already uh, famous in China, or was he still pretty small and only localized to your city? Uh, he's actually uh, an underground magician uh, back then. Like even right now, he's most of the, he's not a, like a, like a real performing magician. He's more of a consultant, and he's actually the guy that's kind of bringing, like, inviting a bunch of, like, real master magicians all around the world back in, uh, to get in China and doing lectures and mm-hmm. uh, workshop. So that's the part that's um, the biggest uh, contribution he, he make to the Chinese magic community. Um, 
so by the way, what province is that city in? Oh, it's in Hunan. Oh, okay. Um, so wait, Hunan is Hunan a rice or a noodles province? Uh, rice. <laughs> okay. Ooh, I don't know. What that, I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, my 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 mom is from Beijing, and my dad is from Jiangxi, and um, they. I remember them saying like one of them ate noodles growing up, and one of them ate rice growing up. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like all the province in in south of uh, uh, South China, and they eat rice, and in the north part, they eat noodles. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, how, how do you learn, uh, like what, what was the main way that you would learn magic from say like 10 to right. 16 or something? Were you getting books a lot or, um, I did, uh, was this like learning through videos kind of thing or what was your favorite way to learn? Mm, favorite way is probably the videos. Uh, so back then there's a, as I mentioned, Joe, he, he, who used to be the, like the influencing in in my city, he has a magic shop, so I hang out at his magic shop a lot. He has a bunch of DVDs uh, over there, and uh, probably that's the main source I learned. It's mainly from like um, like uh, videos, and also back then uh, in China, uh, there's no uh, we don't have access to YouTube, but uh, there's a similar website in China and. Similar to YouTube, like most of the beginners really learn things from the Chinese version of the YouTube. And there's some guys like um, teaching magic. Not very good, mm-hmm. but it's good enough for to as a, to, to start. So that's like really like the first thing. But actually my first thing, uh, first magic I've ever learned is from a magic kit, which is my dad brought me like when I was probably nine years old he actually bought me one magic kit when i was nine and there's a kind of like the pen teller like the magic kit for kids so and like probably like two years after my my well two years after my dad find out uh, i was fascinated about magic he bought me two more two extra uh, magic kit oh cool yeah so that's actually my startup kit wow Uh, that's great (laughs) <laughs> um, and did you know about Magic Castle before you went to that senior year of the, the exchange? Oh yeah, I will have Magic Castle, but uh, it's not exactly what I thought. Like uh, back then in China, uh, we heard about there's two like the holy group, the holy places about magic. One is the Magic Castle, the other one is Magic Circle in London. So I, we heard a lot of rumors about the castle, <laughs> but uh, when I Get out, get out here if I thought it's not 100% true. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's not like the exact image in my mind, but still, it's like, it's just a, just a different image, but still, it's an amazing experience. Um, yeah. Um, you know, what's funny is I've always thought this about uh, myself, and I'm curious to hear sort of your opinion, is that uh, I, you know, I grew up in this city. I grew up in Los Angeles, and when I became interested in magic, there was just an overwhelming amount of resources for me to take uh, advantage of because I had the Magic Castle Junior program. There's so many magicians in Los Angeles. There are magic shops and uh, all of these things. Um, And I kind of think about the people that did not have all of those resources getting to grow up in one of the biggest magic cities in the world. What was that like? What what do you think? I mean, do you kind of look around Los Angeles and and picture what, uh, how how different... um, your 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 life in magic or your experience with magic would have been uh, because you're so talented and it, 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 it you know um, 
it's it's like I, I could not see myself ever getting to like a level of talent that you have without the resources that I was just so lucky to be be uh, born near. So the, the fact that you know people do come from cities that don't have huge magic communities um, that become so so talented is always I'm so curious and like what your discipline was like kind of um, as you were studying magic. So. Uh, actually, the the huge difference between the the magic in China and here is um, like I find out here is just not a, uh, there's not a lot of uh, like magic club in in school, especially like in the like middle school or high school. Most of mm-hmm. them are in college. Uh, uh, so and most of the magic club are for professional magicians. That's the huge difference between the magic club in here and also in. Uh, between here and uh, in China, because in China most of the magic club, I mean majority of the magic club is a school basis. It's like in middle school, high school, or college. Mm-hmm. There's probably just very very small amount of uh, magic club that is dedicated to professional magicians. So, uh, which is kind of is um, it has pros and cons. Uh, mm-hmm. The pros is like uh, we start very early and uh, we have the magic club in like in the school so uh there's a lot of we jam a lot and uh so we have like weekly jam uh in school we talk a lot about magic in school uh which is a very good way to get inspirations but uh the con side is like we don't have like the um, the guidance from like the pro magicians we just kind of trying to figure out the things by on our own and right. we have very limited source of uh, like material but the thing a good thing about those limited source of material is once we learn a trick since we have only a limited amount of resource we we just have to practice that to a very master level so we all like for example like in when i was in middle school like i learned the, the shuffleboard by um uh, uh Simon Arison, mm-hmm, and yeah. that's yeah. one of my favorite piece. And like the similar level of the card trick, like uh, like the shuffleboard, like it's only like a handful of routines I'm aware of. So I need to like practice how to perform that uh, among my friends, among classmates, a lot. So I perform those uh, like same material over and over again. And I have to figure out how to come up with uh, vari- variations on the, based on those uh, material. So, right. yeah, but like instead, since we have so many resources, like in Los Angeles, there's like tons of resources we can learn from. Sometimes it's like, it, it, it's kind of, uh, the information is like, it's an overflow. So we don't know which one we're going to really choose. Probably we saw this material and then we, think, oh, probably it's not good for me, and then we jump to another one without really to dig what's the potential of the certain material. But back in China, since the resource is very limited, then we really have to make the use of all the resources we have. So that's probably uh, a pro like to, to live in a city that has limited resource. But obviously, that's um, the limited resource will, like, Kind of, yeah, will not provide us enough like like existing material, but right, will right. uh, will give us inspiration uh, on creating new stuff. 
Yeah, okay. that's so that's so interesting. My my takeaway from this is that one day Eddie will make a great Chinese dad because <laughs> this is a very uh like a thing my dad would say be like, "Oh, it's it's like all the things like we didn't have, he'd be like, you, we're really lucky because of this. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that is interesting to me, though, because I definitely I felt like, um, for me, I had so much, uh, yeah, there, there is so much, like, at the Magic Castle with that library, and so there's this, yeah, there is really kind of an overflow of information. Um, I bet that you, my guess would be, Eddie, that that from an earlier age, you probably felt like you had a much stronger sense of being able to figure out why you liked something or didn't like something than I probably did. Um, I imagine when you don't have as much um, influx of, of, of material to look at or study that you get a lot better at analyzing things and kind of figuring out if you like them or if you kind of, this is a bad trick, this is a good trick, this needs to change this way or that way. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I feel like as a, uh, hobbyist who is probably the things that I'm looking at in magic are probably things that you guys looked at, you know, four years into magic that, mm-hmm. um, uh, and this is also a thing about being in LA. So now I'm kind of acquainted with like a, a fair amount of like professional level magicians, uh, you know, whether Eddie Air is not a professional or not, he's, his skills are at a professional level. Um, and, I find that there is so much there's so much information and so many options to for methods and scripts and routines for certain effects and it seems like every other time that I wade into a topic I will like study like a certain book for a little while and then somebody will be like oh no that book's terrible like that 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 trick's horrible <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, like, and because I have a very limited resource of what you're talking about, John, that ability to be like, oh, this is why I think this is good for me. Um, Because a lot, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, a lot of times I'm just taking people's word for it. So they'll be like, oh, you should, like, actually, John, you recommended that I get the shuffleboard by Simon Aronson, um, and which I bought at the Magic Apple. And then like, was that like a, uh, was that like a pamphlet that taught like the one trick? Yes. Got it. Um, And then, but I've actually been like i thought oh this would be you know john thinks this is a great trick um other people do as well and then i'm just waiting for someone to be like oh that one's what everyone's decided that that is terrible (laughs) right yeah and there's someone out there i bet that would say that to you yeah (laughs) um but yeah but i I definitely um um eddie what like did you have a lot of i i kind of felt like growing up studying magic um you know as a teenager I kind of felt like I was, I didn't realize it until later, but I, 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 later on I realized that I was sort of stuck in this idea of like, this is what magic is. And that was just sort of what I was around and the type of instruction I was looking to. Um, and I had this really big preconceived notion of what magic is. And it wasn't until I was about 20 or 21 that I started getting better at stepping away from that and realizing that I can kind of look at magic however I want to look at it. And, you know, just because I studied old you know michael amar dvds or bill malone dvds i didn't like that's not necessarily what magic had to be um do you feel like you had anything like that or 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 the 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 way you and your friends would sort of talk about magic were you able to not have those uh those preconceived notions yeah uh actually i was kind of in the similar situation so uh because like when i was young uh uh, one of the most famous magician in China is called Liu Chan. He's the, right. the, the I was going to ask. I don't know that much about how long he's been famous. I don't know much about his career. 
Oh, uh, he, I'm not exactly sure when he started his, his career and when I was in, I know, what, what I know is when I was in elementary uh, school, I was aware of him. Actually, I met him in 2004, I think, is that the first time I met him in person. Uh, back then, he's doing a magic tour, a one-man show tour around China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, the biggest event that got him, like, like the famous around world is uh, in 2009 when he appeared on the uh, uh, Spring Festival, uh, Chinese Spring Festival Gala show. And that's the show that is the, one of the most important show, TV show in China. It is has like uh, probably like mi- uh, billions of views. Like, wow. like well, well, probably like, yeah, like uh, a billion, like, the Chinese population will sit there in the during Spring Festival and they'll watch it. So that's the 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 thing that's making like the most popular magician in China because he catch the opportunity and appear on that show. Right. So, but be, even before that, he's uh he's very good. I've watched his uh like magic tour. Actually, that's the the first live magic performance I ever see. Okay. Uh, like in the whole show as a not just like because of one one as a friend thing that's the uh, the first professional magic show i've ever seen it's in 2004 i think uh that's the the time i met him in person and he's really really good at that time uh in, in terms of uh both stage and also close up he uh, and actually still a lot of material in that show the first show i've ever seen i'm still using till now so really uh, yeah what is that? He, uh, like uh like the the hundred dollar the thumb tape uh like the dollar bill change he uh-huh. did that back to back with the splash powder. Okay. Uh, that's the thing I did. I was just continue using that uh, like in in, co- in college. And he, he did performing the uh card manipulation. He performed the uh, dove act. He performed the uh, I don't perform dove act, but uh, I learned. Uh, kind of like my early version of my kind of manipulation is kind of based on his because mm-hmm. that's probably the, the one we have the access to and also he performed the floating table uh, which uh, I don't own but me and <laughs> friends we kind of bought together well like uh, the, the, the club bought that and so I'm, I have the opportunity to use it and perform it <laughs> so right. yeah so uh, after 2009 uh, he appear on the the same show like uh several times making like more popular and that's why he's like the most popular magician in china and also he did several tours to japan and korea making like like uh, famous in the whole whole asia mm-hmm. uh how famous is bill chung bill chung uh he's kind of pretty new uh okay. he just get into like the com, uh, like the community were aware of him uh, back then, but uh, from the lay audience perspective, he's really new. He just won with them, yeah, and yeah. Um, t- appear in probably just one or two TV show in China, not okay. a lot, yeah. Because um, I did see, uh, uh, I I found about him because of the FISM stuff, and, right. Uh, then I watched his little. He's got a little snippet of the time traveler thing on YouTube, right. which is very fun. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, Eddie, no pressure, but if you wanted to say your truest feelings about Bill Chung and how much you love him or hate him, it would make great content for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to say some really horrible things about Bill Chung, you don't have to, but it would be a, it would make an amazing episode of this podcast. <laughs> the truth is, I'm not really aware of his material. I only saw those material, like like the early version of the, his Count of the, uh, the Fism Right. I didn't. Right. I, I was. I wasn't at Fism, so I didn't see his whole act. And uh, he only. I only saw this version he uploaded um, on, on, on the internet back then. So that's all the only version I saw, and I only saw like several of mm-hmm. his, uh, like his TV appearance and his product. Um, so I'm not. It's not. Um, I don't have enough knowledge to judge him, but. Uh, according to my understanding, I think he's a very good creator and good magician, but a not that good performer. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, yeah, you're not. You're not. You're definitely not alone in that. Um, I don't think <laughs> nobody. I, 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 I've, I've certainly heard that before because yeah, he is a he is a great creator and he's come up with some very very intelligent stuff. Yeah. Um, by the way, the next fism is. Uh, in North America, is that right, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah in Quebec. Um, so, by the way, you're still supposed to be winning that, right? <laughs> Are you still right? On? That's probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, what happened to the you like this year is supposed to be bunch of the qualifying for that, right? right? There was supposed to be a qualifier on the North American Championships um, sometime next month. I, I, you know, I assume that is not <laughs> happening. Right. I've actually been curious um, if the Magic Castle would. Um, sort of reopen their auditions in a way uh, because obviously they're not, it's not open and they're not doing an auditions. But um, I did think actually that maybe they should do virtual auditions um, because it would be a source of income. <laughs> like you get some new people, get some dues in there. Oh, that's interesting. Um, saying this might be the best time for me to pass an audition there. Right. When, when the standards are low. Yeah, because it's happening through Skype. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Eddie, when did you join the Magic Castle? When did you audition? Uh, I think it's probably two years ago. I'm not exactly sure. I think it's probably two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2007. Do you, oh, no, do you remember what ago. you uh, do? You remember what you did for the audition? Oh, actually, uh, the interesting thing is, um, I was living Riverside back then. I'm still living Riverside right now. So. Uh, so I'm a, a considered as the non-residential magician. Uh, wow. So all I have to do is submit um, a video, and the video I submitted is I submitted two two videos. One is a stage manipulation act with barely uh, boards and also the cards, uh, which is a, a, a act I come up with uh, like back then in college, kind of for for competition, but end up not. Did the, I didn't do, do the competition back then, uh, but it's, I come up with that act for the competition. And uh, another thing I, I, the video I did is uh, my, uh, it's a close-up card uh, set, not a set, but because of act I come up, uh, I did, uh, it's kind of called uh, Rose Act. Not the Will Sai one, but it's all um, <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, are you saying that Will Sai stole your Rose Act? That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's very based on, um, very, based on like, the inspiration of that act is based on Boyce White, his Butterfly Act. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the inspiration of that uh, of that act. Uh, I have uh, custom printed uh, cards for that act. I come with the whole thing and this with music similar to what similar style to the voice white uh, butterfly act. Right. Uh, so what I hear you saying is that I should move to Riverside and be yep. uh, non. <laughs> that's amazing that that's considered non residential. <laughs> Yeah, it's really just like outside of the greater LA area, and then you're done. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like we know. I feel like we know several magicians that live out there that are definitely like LA based magicians. Right. Um, That's really funny. Because um, I, I feel like Taylor lives farther than that. He lives in Upland. Yeah. Taylor Hughes. And we'll be posting Taylor Hughes' address um, yes. at the uh, at the end of this podcast if you want to uh, if you want to go say hi to him. Right. We're also um, going to post a, a link to a live stream of him sleeping at night. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I, I it was painstaking setting up that camera, so I'd really appreciate some views on that. Like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so Eddie, I want to talk. Um, if so, I'm gonna uh, plug it again at the end, but I want um, uh, to plug your Instagram. Um, is that the best place for people that can go watch some of the magic that you put out? Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, Eddie's Instagram is uh, magic underscore as uh, a uh, J A I Y I. That I how close was I to pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> okay, I'll t- that that means it was probably like a three out of ten. But I'll take it. Um, <laughs> uh, wait, just to clarify, it's J I A Y I. Did I say it wrong? Yeah, you said J A I. And you know what's uh, funny is I was looking at it while I spelled it. J I A Y I. I'm sorry. Magic J I A Y I. There's a lot of good stuff on here. The recent thing was this uh, variation of the Matrix. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, I want to ask you specifically about that. I believe you, is it called Unmatrix, Matrixless. Matrixless. Yeah. This, Matrixless. Um, um, so yeah. this is uh, uh, you posted on April first. Um, so it's about three weeks ago. I uh, and so people have been posting about it and saying how good it was. I had not watched it yet, and then I was on a Zoom call with uh, Robert Ramirez. And he goes, have you watched Eddie's new Matrix yet? And I said, I have not, but I'm sure it's going to blow my mind. And he goes, put it on now, and I want to watch your face watch it. And so he watched me, and I, I, it was, it was the, the, one of the most impressive things I've watched in the last maybe six months to a year. It, was, uh, it blew my mind. Um, it's, uh, so this is Eddie, like I said, we can... Um, and leave in or cut out as much as you want. But one of the reasons why I love that routine so much is because it kind of feels like you're doing something there with those coins that I don't know really existed before you did it for that video. Oh, like it felt yeah. there was there was there was a there was a method in there that um I won't we don't have to talk about if you don't want to talk about that really felt very, very, very fresh and kind of new. Yeah, uh and I will have what you're talking about and um yeah, I didn't do a lot of research on that, but mm-hmm. as well as I know, uh, I don't see anybody using that way to, to like, to do uh, to use that utility in that way. Right. Uh, usually, yeah, it's kind of because usually, uh, basically, it's the main method of of that routine is it's been used a lot, but not in real life a lot, but. Uh, interesting enough, actually, I do use it at the castle. Uh, not the, the same routine, but I use that same uh, move, that idea. Uh, not with the similar, but uh, basically, I, I can just in general, I can talk about the main thing here. Basic is lapping. Uh, right. That's the main thing. Uh, I actually do lapping 
at the castle in a cellar. Uh, like even though there's no like cotton, if you're aware of the the, the castle in a cellar, the, the table has no the cotton for for up front. They might able to catch something if it's the angle is bad, but still do do lapping uh, in my in my set. Right. Uh, right. I, I'm a big fan of lapping, and uh, the the I probably like the most inspiration uh, of my lapping is from uh, Danny Dautis. Uh, right. He has a whole DVD yeah. on lapping. He has a whole DVD on lapping. And, uh, is that, is that the one it? with um, Jan Fritsch? Yes. Yeah, Jan Fritsch. Yeah. Yeah, it's he has a whole DVD. yeah, that's crazy. About the, because uh, for me, like several tours about uh, that, 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 that magicians always talk about and people assuming we use but we actually don't use a lot in real performance. Uh, like lapping is one of them, uh, sleeving, savant, uh, not savant, I mean the, the top it. Those things we, we uh, like people are uh, assuming we're kind of using that. And uh, we know a lot of people using that, but actually in real life, I don't actually see a lot of people using those type of things. Uh, yeah, yeah that is the, um, the cliche of... Uh, layman's like things about magic are like oh there's like a s- string in a sleeve and uh you know he actually you know like the whole thing about like rolling up your sleeves and this like it's funny how often that's mentioned from a cliche point of view uh right. but then like it's not actually used that much um I, I, I was i was gonna say that Go uh i was gonna say that the method i thought this was was that the coins were actually stooges um, <laughs> yeah, the coins are in on it. Um, yeah. He pre-showed the coins. Yes. So what he did is, yeah. Um, was my understanding, Eddie, I don't want to out your method, but he doesn't tell the coins exactly what's going to happen, but he goes back with an uh, invisible deck or like a, a brainwave deck and, right. he, um, and a mark, or mark deck, rather. And he it's, kind of, yeah, it's gives the dual, coins some... It's dual reality with the coins. The coins yeah, so the coins also else. see a trick. Yeah, the coins yeah, also yeah. see a trick. So it's really, it's really good stuff. Um, <laughs> um, actually, I will say that um, you are on... A great sleeving thing called "Now You Sleeve Me." Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh-huh. that Jeffrey right. uh, Wong has put out that I've mentioned before on the podcast. But and I didn't, I I bought that and then I didn't realize that you were in it, and then you showed up. <laughs> um, you know yeah. what, what is interesting is I did think uh, I've thought about you in this regard before, but I feel like one of the reasons why those methods, um, you know, sleeving and lapping and top it, um, sometimes aren't used that much is because they kind of become. Um, sort of stale. I feel like everybody kind of does the same things and does them to the same amount. And then at some point, especially with like sleeving, that kind of becomes the joke that lay people make or the, the, the assumption that lay people have. And then it just kind of sits and nobody talks about it anymore. Um, and I feel like it takes someone to kind of breathe new life into that idea and what those methods can accomplish uh, to sort of bring them back. And I feel like um, I've never seen you really work at the top it, but you have some really brilliant stuff with, um, sleeving and lapping uh that's really like making those methods feel new and exciting and fresh in a way that i haven't seen in a while yeah uh most of the the sleeving stuff i work with jeffrey Wong, uh, right. as chris uh, mentioned actually the thing is uh like the the foundation like of those sleeving method is is jeffrey's and we met uh, we met probably like two years ago like and uh, we are just talking about, uh, he showed me, like, he was working on that. And I feel like, whoa, that's kind of refreshing. So I work with him with a lot, talking about come up uh, justifications and variations. And also applications about those techniques to make it better. Because 
the first uh, thing uh, he showed show with me is not as good as what you see on the low steaming right now. So <laughs> I think it has a very, very, it's, at that time, I think it's like too magic for me. I think it's so good. But uh, still, like, but later on when I, I saw it, I, I, the first time I saw it, it's like so good. But like back when I was back home at night, I was thinking about this. I was, yeah, but it's only for a magician point of view because it's it's a refresh, it's a refreshing um, method. But still, some have some weird movements. Like the the lay audience still gonna think you're gonna use this label or something. So that's why I, I go back with Jeffrey. We talk about how to make it uh, better and uh, make it having people don't think it's actually using sleeve. So we work a lot and we are very close friends. So that's we end up come up with a bunch of uh, new ideas and applications for sleeving. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the yeah we end up uh, putting out the um, another sleeving project. Yeah, that's uh, basically the the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about a little bit about uh, what it looked like the first time you saw it and started working on it versus what it turned into? Like, what, can you talk about that process a little bit? Are you talking about oh, the sleeving, yeah. sleeving or the uh, matrix? The, you're talking about the sleeving that Jeffrey showed you, right? Yeah, yeah. I, just, yeah, I, right. I was just clarifying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the first time I, uh, Jeffrey showed me what I talked about was sleeving, uh, back then this uh, it's kind of like, like the one we call this called JT Vanish. Actually, we... We name that way. So back then, uh, the angle is a little bit weird. We had because we need to turn sideways. We don't have a certain justification for that. Why we need to uh, turn sideways and do that move at that position? We just because matter is needed. But uh, back then, we then after we trying to figure out uh, how to make it good, we end up trying to think about what whether it's prob- uh, pro- uh, possible to do it upfront. And we try to to accomplish that, and we end up uh, make it like it works. And then we did a developed method we can do the upfront. And then the big step is uh, we are twice talking about um, like uh, I was playing around with this idea with a bunch of magicians, and then I realized, wait a second, if I can do that on my own hand, is there any way I can do unexpected hand? Right. And then yeah. I just actually I think is. Uh, Blaze was there, and also uh, I think Zach Zach Johnson was there. I don't know if you went uh, we were aware of those, but uh, Zach. Johnson I know Zach. I don't know. I've never met Blaze. But I know who he is. Oh, okay. Zach Johnson was there. He's the first one I test out that uh, the JT Vanish on Spectre's hand. I was tested. I was well. I was asking. I'll try to test something for you. Uh, can you see that? And uh, do, you, do you know what's going on? And he was blown away. I was like, oh, okay, then it works. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. And as one of those spectators you've done it on, it is insane to, to watch you <laughs> vanish you. a coin uh, like as you're trying to drop it under my hand. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, so that's the, the thing. And uh, I told Jeffrey and he's like, well, that's great. Then, then we uh, continue to develop the whole variations on that. But we just only st- uh, the f- very first thing is just doing that sideways on your own hand, and uh, back then we are not able to roll up the seat that far. <laughs> but we are still that's the whole basic uh, like the prototype of the whole thing. Right. right. Uh, where can people get this if they want to download it? 
Oh, uh, you can get it on Shin Lim, Shin Lim's website and also mm-hmm. Illusionist. Shin Lim, okay, got it. Uh, so yeah, that's I'm definitely gonna download that and, and listen to you guys talk about it uh, because it's uh, such a know, good piece of magic. I just realized that uh, if you go back one post on Instagram, you have a coin and ring uh, routine. Um, oh yeah, which means uh, at some point, Eddie, I should hire you to coach me on my learning that Garrett Thomas thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that's inspired by Garrett Thomas for sure because uh, I bought his at the table lecture and he taught that in there before, if, like probably less several years before he released uh, Opus. Yes. Uh, that's only uh, like basically the routine doesn't change a lot, uh, but he taught that in, at the table lecture. Uh, I find out it's interesting because I always want to do a ring and uh, uh, coin thing. I think they have a pretty good connection uh, here. It kind of it kind of makes sense. And then, but some of the handling I think is doesn't really fit me because I think it's more framed. That's uh, some of the movies very friendly. If you uh, doing like with music or very elegant, it's cool. But uh, if you're doing the casual or just an introduction to uh, to the coin magic, uh, I think it's too framed. So that's I take uh, like the part I think is really good and I change it a little bit. Yeah. Still, the whole thing is Scarab Thomas, but I just have mm-hmm. my my understanding on that. Um, I wonder if John, have you seen this ring and coin on on Eddie's Instagram? I have, yeah. I I, um, I, I watched it uh, again this morning. Yeah. Did you Did you have a because uh, Eddie? So when I showed uh, some of the Opus stuff that I was learning, John, who didn't know what it was, he was like, "Is that Garrett Thomas?" Just because the way my hands were doing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you get that same feeling from watching this one that Eddie's doing? Or I'm wondering, is there, are these like, are there these like signature Garrett Thomas, like hand movements? That... That's funny. Uh, I'm, I'm pulling, I'm watching it again now. It, it didn't, it did not occur to me. Um, no. Uh, I mean, it's probably because Eddie's better than I am and personalized <laughs> it. And I'm just learning it from a video and just imitating exactly what I see. Right. Um, yeah, no, definitely Eddie. It does feel very you. It doesn't feel like, um, uh, it doesn't feel like, yeah, it feels like a very, uh, uh, Type kind of thing that you would do, and it feels very much in your style. Do you have um, sort of a philosophy about coin magic when you're creating it? Is there something that you think about? Is there sort of a I'm uh, just like as you're putting together a routine like that ring and coin, as you're putting together that uh, matrix less um, there. You know, there's a with the the sleeving stuff. There's a really cool coin through window I've seen you do on your Instagram, and a lot a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, are there a couple things that you think about all the time with coin magic uh, that you think that some people, sometimes other people don't necessarily think about? Um, actually, uh, my, my thought actually on coin magic changed a lot. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, where where yeah. did it start? I kind of want to hear both. Oh, yeah. So uh, I think I probably thought of really getting serious in coin magic pretty late, is probably in college. Because before, I mean, in, in high school, but before college, uh, like I just do classic pump. <laughs> I do just those finger pump and and uh, just all those uh, Michael Amar uh, easy to master coin set, uh, coin, right. coin magic thing. I've never and watched that series. Uh, I watched his hard ones. Oh yeah, um, but have you had one on coin? Yeah. Yeah, but I've never seen his coin one. Yeah. So back then, I was more into um, gas. Uh, like I, I 
I got the the shell. I got the the uh, what's that called? Copper, copper silver brass. Copper silver, uh, yeah, yeah, copper silver brass, hopping half, and those classic gaps. I'm more, I was more into that uh, instead of trying to do slide up end because uh, back then uh, I think like coin edge is very angle sensitive and is very nerve wracking because once your uh, hand is not in good condition, if you're not confident enough, you'll make mistake. You're, if you rely on slide up hand, it's gonna be you're gonna be caught, right? So, and, yeah. and actually, yeah. back then, I, I, my my thought on coin magic is just hide and seek. You are basically just hiding the coin. Hopefully, the spectator didn't catch it. So mm-hmm. I was thought of by doing like all the palming and the classic like hand wash stuff to prove that the coin is gone. And I learned like some like uh, very weird hand wash to overprove the thing, which sure. yeah. Back then, I think it's brilliant because it's hard. And I showed you <laughs> fellow magicians, they think, oh, they can do it. They think it's good. But uh, later on, I realized when I, uh, because back then, I don't really perform a lot of coin magic to uh, to lay audience because it's hard and I, I will make, make, make mistake. And then later on, I, uh, when I got uh, more into coin magic, I realized, yeah, because I don't really want to carry a deck of cards with me all the time because it's very bulky uh, and it's feel like it's being set, uh, it's set up. So, but if you can borrow some change and perform magic with like coins, which is something you sh- uh, it's not suspicious when you carry on with you all the time, then will be better. So I was trying to uh, get into coin magic a little bit more, try to make it more like impromptu and uh, I shift from gaps to more sleight of hand basis coin magic because if I, I, I want to um, uh, uh, I want to be able to perform coin magic with borrowed coins without any preparations right. without making like weird gap coins and uh, so that's uh, getting the more sleight of hand stuff and still I'm doing those based on those classics uh, thing um, but later on uh, I was thinking about I realized this Classic stuff has some um, thing. It's still like uh, it's a lot less like uh, like slight, uh, hide and seek, but still has this sense of feeling. Even though I uh, modified the hand wash to the very very basic, just two step, very casual hand wash, but still I realize uh, you can if you are really good enough, then you can like have them convince them the coins are actually gone. But if you but, but at the end of the day, probably the audience didn't really like point that out because we respect you. Uh, but but back in China, like the audience is not that like kind of like that. They are not that they they, they won't won't catch you. They're, I'm not saying they are hackers, but there's more towards that way. So I right. need to come with more cleaner way to to show their coins really gone. So that's uh, why I. Start kind of using those like sleeving uh, or like uh, watch or topic things like that to to make it like um, the coins really gone. I I have to end clean to show that uh, they're actually gone. So that's why uh, I try to figure out how to um, try to accomplish that. So I got back and uh, then this basically. The combination of the gaps and uh, side of hand, that's uh, find a balance between that. 
uh, that's probably what uh, the stage I'm right now. Uh, I'm still going to use a lot of gaps because it will accomplish things uh, this time we can cannot accomplish. Um, I'm not a purist. Uh, I, I think it's based on what the effect is. I want to make the effect the cleanest. That's the way I want to to show. But there's still uh, the, for the, but I think that if you're doing coin thing, you have to end clean. Uh, that's probably like the thing because I've been like being being caught a lot. So that's why. Yeah. I, I feel like also you know um, I I think people get too caught up in whether they're using. Like, yeah, whether there's one right way, like you should be using gaffs or you shouldn't be using gaffs. Um, and I think that what, you, what I, my guess is one of the reasons why I think your coin magic is probably so good based off what you just said is that you started with one thing. You started with gaffs, which is very, very natural because it creates very, very strong magic. And then, you know, being afraid of that or, or, or having the idea that you want to do it with borrowed change and be, you know, really clean and feel cleaner is such a good, it, it's an interesting challenge to sort of um, broaden what you know about coin magic or what you're able to do with coin magic. And then once you've kind of done that and you felt accomplished in that, then you can kind of go back to using gaffs with this new knowledge that you might not have otherwise had. And now you can sort of create magic with gaffs or without gaffs um, with sort of more depth of knowledge than you might've had before. And I think that maybe speaks to why some of your stuff is so good. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yes, it's very great. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think, I think people kind of get too. yeah, there are these people who go like, no, 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 it's all about, you know, you got to do it with sleight of hand. It's, you know, there are these purists that kind of like hate the idea of using gaffs or gimmicks or something like that, which you don't see that much these days, but they're, they still exist. And then you also mm -hmm. find the people that just go, it's about whatever the method is, whatever the trick is and feel very, very comfortable. Um, but the fact that you've kind of played around with both, I feel like really helps you with both in a way that a lot of people might not otherwise have because they kind of really hold on to those, to those ideas of coin, you know, those mm -hmm. pre-held notions of coin magic. I wonder how much of that is also influenced by um, the workers, you know? So uh, the fact that, you know, lapping isn't used that much um, and people sort of move away from these gaffes. I wonder how much of this has to do with like in the U S a lot of people being restaurant workers and walk around and like just managing how many things they've got in their pockets going from one table to the next. Sure. Uh, and worrying about resets. And I was, like, I feel like, like, I wonder if those, uh, practical considerations end up becoming like philosophies. Right. I think definitely. Because actually, uh, I think the reason why uh, I kind of get a kind of different thought and way in imagining in general is uh, as a worker, if you, if you perform as a professional magician, the I think for me, the, the, if I'm a professional magician, the number one rule is uh, it has to be 100% sure fire. I don't want to take any risk in anything. I, I'm, my method is going to be 100% bulletproof because if I messed up, then it's going to be a mess. But as a hobbyist, the way we can we can like seek for like very risky stuff because we just perform it for fun. We don't yeah. really we don't get paid for this. So if I mess up, it's okay. We just do it for fun. And then we we try a lot of really risky stuff like Jeffrey. Jeffrey he's try, uh, he has a tons of really uh, hard and risky flights and stuff. And I I, I also have something uh, I try to uh, like searching this path as well. So that's why uh, we have a broader um, like 
options over here, we can we are well, not limited uh, to ourselves to like only 100% bulletproof stuff. Uh, because if you perform as a restaurant worker, you have to be make sure you your material doesn't fail. Yeah, but right. as right. a hobbyist, I have a more options. So that's why I think it will this kind of thing that make make sense. I would say from a, from the hobbyist camaraderie side of magic and just hanging out with people and showing each other stuff. To me, the moments when people kind of like mess up are like the most fun moments sometimes. Because <laughs> um, uh, I like this is, is very rare, but like e- either in the like um, lecture or even one time when we were just John and I were just hanging around with shoot. Like it's it's kind of um, reassuring to see like shoot try um, you know like a coin vanish or something and like mess it up because <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. oh. Oh, he's able to fail at these things. <laughs> right. Yeah. Actually, shoot is a, a, another big inspiration uh, for me as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably like, like in, you know, it was in college, those hard, hardcore, very hard side of the hand stuff I learned from shoot, uh, shoot yeah. DVD. And uh, that's why like, I know how hard those materials are. Right. Uh, if you go looking for it, you can find some really, really difficult stuff on his DVDs. It is yeah. out there, and it's really good, but it's hard. Yeah, really hard. <laughs> yeah, he loves that. Um, and how does – oh, actually, here's the question I want to ask you. Is um, is there some move or some technique right now that is like something you're reaching to try to do that is like outside of your capability right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh... There's actually tons of stuff I was always trying to master, but never good at it. Uh, actually, uh, most of them in, in cards, um, because uh, for, for coins, there's still a bunch. For coins, it's the most of the arming stuff uh, is very hard because it's high risk, and uh, my skin is kind of dry all the time, so I don't have the enough friction to, to do the arming a lot. So that's the part I was trying to do, but uh, failed. So I stopped doing that, uh, but more focused on sleeping and other alternatives. In card, in terms of card magic, because my hands are really small, it's a tiny hands. So a lot of things I need to uh, adjust. If, uh, uh, adjust. So I'm not able to to top up. <laughs> that's actually because top up is actually most frequently. Uh, frequently used sliding cards, but I'm not able to do it. So all I, all I do is just bottom pump. And uh, so I'm trying to, uh, like, I have to, like, uh, figure out um, the the angles about bottom pump and things like that. And also I need uh, to, for the force deals, like bottom deals, because I handed too small, I'm not able to pull out the earnest grip. So I have to do it in mechanics grip. But in terms mm-hmm. of doing mechanics grip, the, like the, the flicking of the the fingers is uh, I want you to conquer that, but still not able to uh, minimize the movement. That's the like bottom deal. I want to have want to have a very good bottom deals. Uh, that's the part I was trying to accomplish and still practicing a lot. And also uh, push off second. Uh, I I I used to do the the two earnest way of the push off second, but um, I found out it's not very for me, because but I don't know whether um, I understand it wrong or something like that. Because when I see Ed Quant, it is like so good, and he's right. pretty active on that. 
so uh, later I find out my kind of uh, the way that kind of fit me a little bit more. That's the the way I was trying to practice uh, recent recently. Uh, still not able to do it very fast, but able to do the move, but I have to do it better. Uh, right. Wait, what? What is your what's your preferred method for like double push off? Uh, uh, it's actually using the the flash of the uh, the first knuckle part of the the thumb. Oh, instead of the fingertip, I'm using the knuckle. Oh, okay. Wow, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's funny because I was trying to learn push off second, and that actually I still haven't learned that. But it, I ended up backing my way into a double push off because of something Eric Tate had said. Um, and I was already sort of practicing like a push off from the top for the second. Um, and it worked out to be functional for a double lift. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I noticed watching your Instagram that it seems like your double lifts are not from the top corner. They're from like the middle. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually I just changed that, um, pretty recently, like probably just last year. Uh, okay. before oh. that, I, oh, I'm pushing from the top with the fingertip, which is the typical way, uh, talking a lot of DVD. But I feel like uh, that way is not natural enough because usually for me, my typical, like the normal top top cup, uh, like turnover is not from the top, it's from the middle. So if I, if I need to shift the thing, then it's going to be weird. And also it looks a little bit tight for me. So that's why I change it. Uh, yeah, I was I'm looking at one from uh, about 12 weeks ago where it says you're just working on basic slides. Um, and, uh, those, they're all harder than I can do right now. <laughs> um, oh, you know, uh, so we're, we're coming up to an hour here. Uh, so we should probably wrap up soon ish. I did have a few other things, um, uh, before we go, um, I, one of the things I wanted to, uh, ask was, um, what do you think is maybe the biggest difference between magic or the way people do magic or perform magic or think about magic in China versus in America? Like if I were to, if I were to go spend, six months in China to perform, to learn, to practice, to jam with people. What do you think is the biggest or some of the biggest differences I would experience there? I know you mentioned that people are not necessarily heckling you, but they kind of want to catch you more, which I have heard before. Is there anything else or other kinds of things? Uh, from the lay audience perspective, I think in China, uh, like the audience doesn't take magic that serious. Uh, they think it's just similar to juggling. And they will always try to bust you because they just mm. they're, not, they're, they're not believer. They are not just able to sit and enjoy it. It's getting better now uh, <laughs> because of those uh, like similar thing, kind of like the um, like the uh, life magic bar and things like that. And it's getting better, but mm-hmm. still have this problem. And uh, the biggest issue in China is. If I think it's similar here uh, in in in, uh, in the state uh, at YouTube, is people exposing magic, uh, exposing other material to right. just get right. fans and things like that. Uh, it's terrible, but there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, so, what about for the? Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, oh, uh, the the thing is, uh, you know, people trying to uh, make it better by uh, having the professionals showing their own creation on that to make it. I mean. Just not not just trying to expose the method like tissue magic in one minute, but trying to give you more source and the history about things. Even though it's still uh, teaching others material, but it's trying to get it better now instead of just exposing like 
tipping the, the method. Uh, it's getting better now, but still a big issue. And, uh, in, in, and also from the magician perspective, most of them are hobbyists. There's not really a lot of working magicians. Most of the working magicians are uh, stage-based instead of close-up. There's not many close-up magicians in China. Most of them are stage magicians. Uh, so we have more close-up um, in theater now, but it's still very small amount. And they are more like skill basis instead of presentation basis. I'm aware of a lot of good magicians. They have very good talent skill, but their presentation are awful. Right. <laughs> um, and then something else, you know, uh, if you should sort of, this is kind of a, a big question, so you don't have a much of an answer for this. Um, but given the way that you just sort of came up through magic and then coming to um, uh, Los Angeles, um, is there a way that if you could change the way magic is taught to people or the way people learn magic, what would you, what would you recommend? If, um, like the way ma magic instruction, um, is there something that you think about uh, that might improve for like, you know, a new generation of magicians coming up and getting started? Uh, magic instructions. Uh, for, me, for me, I think uh, the way that a lot of instructions is based on basically is performance first and then a secret session and then uh, history, brief history, and then detailed uh, explanations. Uh, the, I think probably in order, in order to like spark more creation, uh, yeah, like create creativity, I think the, like the secret session, that part is kind of not necessary <laughs> because it's mm -hmm. what a lot of, I know a lot of guys once they see, know the secrets, uh, secret, then they think it's, it's not what they thought. Then you know, just stop watching. <laughs> I, 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 most of the science minds product I watch end up like that. <laughs> but still, uh, there's the first watch it, I end up like that. But still, I think, hey, yeah, since I pay for it, uh, I watch it uh, till the end. But the thing is, uh, it's kind of like it's not only about the secret setting method, but it's more like why those things are, they come up with that is more more important because uh, like. Uh, I haven't watched the opias, but according to what Derek Thomas is calling the lecture and also his description in the trailer, I think that's actually very important because uh, the the why we the, the magician come up with that and why they do certain things that is the most important thing uh, in terms of the tutorial instead of just the move or the method itself, but why he come up with that and why he do so, choose to do certain things instead of other things. That is the real gold in a tutorial. And uh, right. I, for the other tutorial I watch, some of them have this, uh, but uh, most of them doesn't have this. So I think that's going to be very uh, good thing if they can put out in a lot of tutorials. Mm -hmm. um, and then before we go, uh, Chris, do you want to tell the story? Can you tell the story of the time we asked Eddie to do that thing for us at the Magic Apple? Oh, yeah. We were watching, uh, I think, the David Stone lecture. And uh, I was looking at this thing called Undertow from uh, Dan and Dave. And uh, someone online had said, like, this is one of the hardest slights in Magic. And I think we've described it before. It's basically palming a card and then substituting it for another card off the deck. Uh, sort of in, in your hand, you're kind of like switching one card for the other um, as you display it. And uh, I was 
talking about how hard it was. And then I think you were like, I bet Eddie could do it. <laughs> um, first of all, I, I think we kind of knew that Eddie would know what it was to begin with, which I don't know that every magician, if I just said like, Hey, do you know undertow? Um, so, I, I didn't. Yeah. So then uh, we got Eddie's attention and just said, like, hey, do you know Undertow? Can you do Undertow? And I think you actually said that you couldn't do it. Oh, you you, you were very confident. He said, no, I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. And then he yeah, did I it. Can. <laughs> and then you did it flawlessly. Yeah. But you won't be flash. If you ask my hands are too small for palming. But <laughs> I, I, I can do the mechanic. I know the mechanic of this, but uh, I'm not able to perform it in real life because I have to. Be very, very careful for the angle because the angle is going to be very crucial on this if I'm trying to put it out. But for Undertow, the the person I've seen in real life doing that flawlessly, uh, Shane, Shane Lim is one of them. He do Undertow really good. And uh, Blaze. Blaze is, Blaze is Undertow is crazy. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um, that's from a book called If an Octopus Could Palm. Um, right, yeah. And I think that I, honestly, I mean, just I, maybe I'm wrong, but it actually seems like most of the moves in that book are kind of like, there's probably a simpler move to do the same thing you need to do, but it's kind of like, a, here's a challenge. Try to like learn all these moves. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's basically Eddie is our go-to for like, uh, if I need a live demonstration of something that seems impossible, we're going to ask Eddie to do it. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, that that's usually a safe bet, in my opinion, which is why I was so excited to have you on. Uh, okay, Eddie, before we go, I have a lightning round for you, okay? Okay. Uh, uh, don't even think about it. Just first answer that comes to your mind. <laughs> Want to hear uh, what you think. Okay. Uh, best coin magician. Your favorite coin magician. Uh, uh, Amanda Lucero. Say it again? Amanda Lucero. Okay. Uh, is coin magician? Oh, yeah. That's maybe, I forgot about his yeah. matrix. I, I thought it was a card for a Okay, what about favorite card magician? Uh, still on Mandela Zero. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. Um, best, uh, uh, best like mental. Oh, best manipulator. Who's your favorite manipulator? Uh, Den Den from Japan. Yes. Thank you. Not enough people are talking about how good Den Den is. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. It is an incredible act. Uh, uh, favorite mentalist. Uh, 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 Darren Brown and Luke Jamey. Okay. Um, favorite like comedy magician. Uh, comedy like uh, David Williams. David Williamson. Great. Favorite um, two-person Peller show you've seen in the last, like, three months? <laughs> <laughs> Rumor Ramirez and John Cardo, for wow. sure. Wow, you, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, <laughs> for sure. That was, that was a version of pre-show, basically. <laughs> that was a version. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. This is the best. Thank sure. you. Uh, I, I only came up with that in the last second as a joke. That wasn't what the, all this was for. So then, um, who is your? If you had to, uh, from not necessarily from all those categories, but if you had to pick one magician to watch for the rest of your life, uh, who would that be? One magician to watch all of my life. Ah, uh, Jerry Koff. Really? Oh, would you explain that a little bit? Uh, I think probably. In my understanding, he is the closest thing to Vernon in in this generation. I think in his generation, I think he's the closing as well, close to Vernon, and uh, uh, his he has like really good uh, sleight of hand that is like so good that I cannot even tell he's doing certain move, and his understanding of philosophy on a lot of things is really good. I think. Wow. 
Oh. Uh, hey, can you guys spell the name of the manipulator that you mentioned? D E N D N. D N D N. Okay, good. I just yeah, want to. Den Den. Den Den. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He. he um, I first heard of him at Magic Live. He performed at Magic Live uh, in twenty gosh fourteen, I think, um, with this incredible like uh, card manipulation slash paper crane manipulation act, and it's absolutely amazing. There is. Um, it's not the version he's doing now but there is a version of that act on youtube which is still incredible but there's a couple big moments from later versions that it does not have but it is quite good uh to anybody who wants to go watch that um well eddie thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast so much for your time and talking to us about uh, magic Uh, is there anything you want to uh plug or let the people know about before we go uh yeah follow me on instagram I had a feeling. Uh, and then uh, spell it correctly when you f- type it in to follow him. Not like me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you can find uh, Eddie on it Instagram is, uh, magic underscore. Yeah. J-A-Y-A-Y-I. Magic J-A-Y-A-Y-I. underscore J-I-A-Y-I. I. I. Yeah. Um, you got a thousand. You got a, over a thousand followers, uh, which is twice as many as I have. So that is a testament to the great content he's churning out. Maybe we will get a boost in listeners from having you on. <laughs> oh, you know what? Actually, Thank just you. before Thank we go, can you talk a little bit um, about um, the uh, IACM? Oh, uh, IACM is the um, it's International uh, Association of Chinese Magicians, which is an organization uh, like founded by my friend Conan Liu and uh, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Wong, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm helping him with the organization as well. So basically, uh, the main like member uh, are... Uh, of the board is based on LA. This we are friends, and we have uh, a bunch of friends in in China, in Hong. Uh, back then, then uh, uh, it's a, a non-profit organization try to help um, like the Chinese magician around the world try to uh, serve as a platform to for them to communicate and uh, uh, basically that's probably what it is. Right. Lots of, uh, <laughs> a great mission to have and it's a great thing to have um in southern california to have um, uh, part of that be here how good of a magician do you have to be to be in this group <laughs> uh, uh because i'm not a guy just for the uh proving the applications but yeah i think uh you have a passion and then you should be able to do it it's not uh the bar is not high uh, the other, well, <laughs> believe me, what, however low the bar is, I can get under it. Um, yeah, low, lower it a bit more for Chris, no matter where it is. Just well, the other, the other thing <laughs> is how, how, how good at Mandarin do I have to be? <laughs> mm. You don't need to be that good at Mandarin. Uh, Chris, do you speak, how much Mandarin do you speak? Uh, Edian, Dian. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's good enough. Yeah. That's good. There, there you go. You, there you are, Chris. That, that was your end. You're good enough, says yeah. Eddie. Shu Shen Cheng Shi Wo Da Peng You. How about that? What's the name? Shu Shen. I I, 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 I called you Shen Cheng. Isn't that like a, a way of addressing you? If I say Shu Shen Cheng <laughs> or something, your name is like a Shu Shu. I don't know the tones. Shu Jia Yi. Oh yeah! Right here. Yeah. Shi Wo Da Peng You. Yeah, right. <laughs> I basically know things from when I was like six years old. So gotcha. oh, okay. <laughs> I just go around calling people my pungyo. <laughs> oh, that's good. Chris, did, did your parents speak Chinese around you? Or speak um, Mandarin around you? 
Uh, so I'm from a generation when we came to America. I mean, I was born here, but when they came to America, they're in a generation when they were told not to speak Chinese. Oh, in the house to like to be the American. Uh, it was more that in terms of language acquisition back then, it was considered that it would stunt a child's uh, language uh, skills if you spoke gotcha. multiple languages in the house, which we um, know is bullshit, right? Well, so it turned out that or that wasn't not. true. It does delay it a little bit. Um, so apparently children in development, if you're speaking multiple languages in the house, it will delay how quickly they start to speak English, but mm-hmm. it's overcome like relatively quickly. And so my gotcha. nieces and nephews, uh, did have actually my niece had English, Chinese, and, uh, Hindi in the house. Wow. Uh, and she's conversant in all three. So, wow. uh, that's great. I, however, my Texas accent is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then I guess the last thing I want to ask you, Eddie, before we go, which I've said probably three times, um, but this will be the actual last thing, is uh, mm-hmm. in these in this quarantine time, is there a particular thing you've been watching or reading a lot of, like a, a pic, uh, something you've been binging that you would recommend to people? Uh, it doesn't have to be related to the magic. It can be anything. Actually, so watching TV shows, TV series. <laughs> what have you been watching? Better Call Saul. <laughs> Better Call Saul. Ooh, yeah, that is good. This would be a great time. Yeah. To ca- I'm, I'm, I'm a little behind on Better Call Saul. I got to catch up. I have to uh, catch yeah, Eric uh, up on Breaking Bad first. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I think you know, Eddie, really if, if you want a comedy to watch, I would recommend NBC's Superstore. <laughs> I was okay. starting season two though. Um, that's that's when all that's when the characters you really want to see really start to shine. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Eddie uh, Eddie Shu, thank you so much for um, being on the podcast. Like I said, you can follow him on Instagram. Uh, check out some of his amazing magic. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for thank you so much for for giving up an hour and fifteen uh, minutes of your time to talk to us about magic. Yeah, thanks, Eddie. And also, thanks in advance for all the things we're going to make you demonstrate for us. Yes, thank you for all the magic <laughs> I'm going to send you videos about and ask you to help improve. I, I do actually have an idea that after this, I am going to ask you about. So let's end this so I can talk to you about secret stuff I don't want to be on the podcast. All right. <laughs> okay. uh, thanks to Eddie, and we'll see you guys next time. We'll see you next thank time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.